This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Grant Collins will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Hello, everybody. Today, the markets are kind of off to a slight decline. Um, 10-year Treasury is yielded uh, a little bit lower ahead of key Fed decision sitting right now at 2.743. I have a panel, Grant Collins and Tim Parati on, and we're just going to talk about a few issues today um, from jobless claims and commodities and, of course, you know, upcoming Fed action. So with that, let's start. And Tim, uh, just let's kind of do a broad overview of the market and what you're looking at right now. Yeah, I guess the two things I would want to touch on is the curve inversion and earnings uh, to date. Uh, it's Tuesday and earnings, 50% of S&P earnings are this week. Um, so why don't we start on the earnings side? You know, we had Walmart last night and Walmart missed and lowered. And, you know, the issue is around um, the trade down phenomenon that, you know, they've got this. And it's the same issue that Target had uh, months ago where, you know, you've just got the wrong inventory because consumers are trading down, they're trading out of discretionary, uh, apparel absolutely sucks across the board, uh, and they, they have to discount as aggressively as they can to get to get apparel out. And there's so much grocery and food inflation, they're talking about double-digit grocery and food inflation, Walmart always wants to be a price leader, so they're going to take some pain on that front, trying not to pass through uh, every dollar of that grocery inflation. And what you have is just gasoline and grocery inflation crowding out the ability uh, to buy more disposable items. And, you know, on the grocery side, they're gaining share. So it tells you that, and McDonald's put up good numbers. So like those trade down realities, people trade down to McDonald's, people trade down to Walmart, uh, and that's what you're seeing. So what you're seeing at Walmart is the same thing that You've been seeing in the small business surveys, the Michigan confidence surveys, the the uh, the conference board surveys. I mean, we are way we're, we're only one year annualizing the peak of stimulus, but it's beyond clear that at least for the bottom half of this country, all of those savings are gone on the twos tens. Uh, you know, look, the the common knowledge, the assumption is that the Fed is going to be cutting as soon as they are done with raising rates. And I disagree with that. It's not that inflation isn't going to come off the boil. Of course it is. We are not going to be putting up 8 and 9% inflation prints six months from now. Uh, but we could be putting up 5 and 6% inflation prints six months and a year and two years from now. And that's a, stag that's a stagflationary environment. I just worry that the wage pressures uh, are still around. Look, you, have, you still have rising number of strikes and labor protests. So it's happening when you have negative, when you have high inflation, but you still have negative real wage growth. That's what the Fed worries about when people talk about a wage price spiral. OER, owner's equivalent rent, uh, is, is staying stubbornly high. There does seem to be some truth to this idea that we just have underbuilt on the housing stock. What changes on that is density, just more people end up living together or with their parents or whatever. Uh, and then the other part of it is the part that the Fed still can't control, which is the supply side. I don't know what's going to happen in Ukraine and Russia, but I doubt it's going to be a happy ending sometime in the next six months. 
Uh, I don't know what's going to happen in China and Taiwan, but it doesn't seem like that issue is going away when you think about the level of the Chinese, the CCP's, uh, how upset they are about this potential Pelosi trip. The administration seems to be trying to figure out how to get Pelosi to stop, but just that that is that big of a deal just goes to show you that the big geopolitical risks, especially Ukraine, Ukraine and Russia, are not going away, and those kind of supply issues uh, are not going away either. So there's a number of things, I think, that keep inflation stickier than what the market is pricing in right now. And I think you do see that across the board, right, Tim, as CNBC came out with a Fed survey yesterday, and 63% of that survey believes that the Fed's effort to bring down inflation to its 2% is going to cause a recession. On that same survey, 55% give a chance of recession in the next 12 months. Um, that's up 20 points from the May survey um, in June. So really, we, we are still seeing that. I mean, the, 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 the Taiwan-China tensions, I know we're going to get into the chips bill in a minute, but uh, it seems like there's some unrest there. If Beijing were to cut off the Taiwan Strait, which U.S. naval ships regularly pass through, that's going to be a huge escalation that we haven't seen before between the, the Chinese and the United States. Um, also, if we think about, and we're going to talk about the chips bill a little bit later, but Taiwan's semiconductor manufacturing company supplies more than 90% of the global supply. If all of a sudden that export is cut off by China, that, that that's a big, big issue uh, for the United States, especially because uh, a lot of uh, the U.S. military relies on them. Our cars rely on them. So that's another uh, big piece. And then if we if we come back for a second there, we did just see natural gas prices hit the highest since 2008 uh, on pace for the best month ever as we see Russia going to continue to cut supply. That comes back to the Russia and Ukraine uh, geopolitical tensions. That's going to continue to rise. And um, but why don't we kick it off here and talk a little bit about the joblessness claims. We just saw Shopify stock sink 16% after the company says it's going to lay off 10% of workers. We just saw the numbers come out uh, that the initial joblessness claim hit the highest level since mid-November um, last week. So claims totaled just under a quarter of a million uh, that for the week that ended in July 16. Tim, we have been talking about a really tight labor market, low unemployment. What does this latest joblessness claims mean? Yeah, I mean, look, it, it tells you that the Fed is getting what they want, that it is, it, it's starting to happen. But on an absolute numbers basis, 250 and 255,000 jobless claims is tiny. I mean, you get into a recession, you're going to be seeing numbers well over 400,000 on claims. So the point is, is that you've had a big move. Uh, what is it? Since Nov 21, that's the highest jobless claims number, something like that. So, so the, the rate of change is high, but the absolute number is still low. And the job openings number is still high. And you've got, you know, you've, we've got this skills gap that you're going to have industries that are still dying for labor, high end and low end labor. Uh, we don't have the immigration and we don't have the demographics to support it. So both things can be true. You can see labor, you can see unemployment claims moving up and moving up rapidly and still have a labor market that is way too tight for the Fed's comfort. And the point is, is we are in early days of this whole process. And um, I think we should bring up 
terms of gauge of the economy, commodity prices have been kind of all over the board, right? So last week, copper was down to the slowest level in quite some time. But today you have natural gas prices that it's the highest since 2008. Um, gold has been trading very tightly. So, I mean, what should we make of all this? Some of these things make sense, but then others seem like they don't make sense and they're bucking the trend. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the preponderance of, of commodities are rolling over hard. Dr. Copper is always the one that I think you've got to really look at as rolling over so hard because we do know that there is going to be massive long-term demand for copper as we have to rebuild sort of the transmission and distribution of electricity to centralize to more localize. That's going to be this huge demand on copper. But I think what copper is telling you more than anything is that the real estate market in China is an utter disaster and they are not going to be doing a whole lot of building uh, of infrastructure in China uh, for a little while now, of, of real estate infrastructure in China for a little while now. Nat gas is, is a different animal, as you said, you know, Nord Stream, do you really think that Russia is going to keep Nord Stream flowing and really help Germany out as we get into this winter? So every bit <laughs> of every bit of of uh, liquefied natural gas that we can send out, we're gonna send out. And that creates a uh, big demand uh, on nat gas. Plus, you, you, you know, you've had a super hot summer. So you get these nat gas summer draws because there's just so much demand for power generation. So yeah, nat gas is, is, is kind of the weird uh, exception, but overall, especially the kind of the CapEx, you think of, you think of oil and nat gas as kind of operating uh, commodities, whereas copper and some of the other metals are more kind of capex commodities. Uh, they are telling you that we are going into a global recession, and I don't doubt that for a minute. And if you think about the the harsh climate patterns, as you mentioned, that's going to have a big impact on the grain harvest worldwide, which is another uh, commodity that people are looking at uh, as an indicator. And really, the the supply chain constraints come over uh, into that as well. If we think about comply, like um, one of the biggest constraints right now, it really has been the semiconductor market, which is why we are seeing this chips bill go into place. We have seen a global shortages of the chips over the past two years, which is why car prices have soared, mobile phone prices have soared, pretty much any type of device, technology device that uses it, we've seen those prices rise, which is why we've seen um, the bill clear. It's $52 billion to build uh, domestic chip productions, tax breaks uh, for construction of plants. So we saw on Tuesday, all of the um, last Tuesday, we saw Intel, Texas Instruments, a, a lot of the, the chip companies all soar. Um, but then if we just think about what I said earlier about Taiwan and the semiconductors there, if the Chinese were to cut that off, that would have a drastic impact on the semiconductor market. What I'm most worried about, and Tim, I'd love to hear your thoughts, is it, it seems we're 10 years too late on this. It's it's that China has already invested, Taiwan has already invested, and that by the time we get these plants up and running, these are very sophisticated pieces of technology. It's not just going to all of a sudden snap of the fingers and it's it's yeah. going to happen overnight. It's going to take five years, maybe yeah. in some cases. Yeah. Um, and and so if we get our if we don't have conductor chips for five years, that's going to have a drastic impact on our GDP. Yeah. 
it, I'm amazed that this thing's getting done. I mean, because nobody is more cynical about the state of politics in this country right now than I am. But, you know, Manchin killed <laughs> basically the guts of the reconciliation bill. So McConnell didn't have to hold this hostage anymore. And this is a national security bill. And it also turns into a Christmas tree, right? I mean, everybody is going to, you know, these bills are all a thousand pages or 2000 pages because there's a carve out. There's a lobbyist for every one of those carve outs. And the way these things get done is everybody gets their own, they get their bribes taken care of, right? I mean, not this is how it's always gotten done. That's not necessarily a sign of the times, uh, but that's how this will get done. It's a national security issue. The Department of Defense needs all of these different semiconductors. Um, and, and, and you know, look, it's Ohio uh, where you're going to be building these jobs. And, and nobody wants to be the, the, the political candidate who says my party's on the wrong side of, of, of building jobs in Ohio. So um, it'll get done. It has to get done. It's unfortunate that you've got to give a company like Intel uh, billions and billions of dollars to build a facility. But if if the Taiwanese are subsidizing facilities and the Chinese are sure as hell subsidizing facilities and so are the Japanese, what are you going to do? You know, in a world where everything's got to get more nearshored or friendshored or onshored, uh, you got to build you got to build these facilities. And Intel isn't in the position to just say, yeah, I'm going to do it on my own. They do, it's just not uh, do it in this country. Do it on my own because don't forget the ongoing costs are going to be higher too because we don't have the engineering talent to support it in the way that some of the Asian countries do. It almost makes you think of our relationship with China in the sense that a lot of economic indicators show that if we cut the tariffs that were placed under the Trump administration have continued under the Biden administration, that would slash inflation by 0.3%. Uh, that's probably not going to happen in the midterms, but semiconductors might be one of those things where they decide to uh, take off but then also, you know, you might be looking at a new 301 case in terms of looking at China's industrial plans and subsidies. So, I mean, where do we, I guess, really sit with our relationship in terms of, I mean, we have to take off some tariffs and we have to, you know, cooperate in some elements. But the Biden administration strategy has also seemed to have continued Trump's in many uh, significant ways, especially in competing and um you know, yeah. calling the Chinese out on a lot of actions. Yeah. I mean, the Chinese themselves only seem to get more bellicose. So, um, and look, you just look at, you know, he, the, the, every White House administration is looking at polls and they're looking at polls that tell you, you don't want to be soft on China. Uh, <laughs> and, and that's why I don't think that these tariffs are going anywhere. I, I think that they will stay in place. There's not enough relief there uh on a cpi or a pce base to take them off there are much bigger factors like freight that are going to that are rolling over that are going to in a lagged way but are going to have a meaningful effect on bringing these headline numbers down as i say i think the wages the oer the supply parts are still going to keep inflation higher than the fed wants um but it the, the but cutting tariffs by itself is not enough of an incentive i don't think for the administration and look, I, I just think that uh, you're going to see more export controls out of China. And I think that <clears throat> what's interesting to watch with China is how they are going to resuscitate their economy here when they are such an export-driven economy. 
if you're an export-driven economy and the rest of the world, Europe is going to be in a deeper recession than we are and sooner than we are with less real prospect of coming out of it. Uh, so what do you do? Uh, I just I think China is in a very, very tough position. But I just can't imagine that administration, with the way they seem to be positioning themselves around Taiwan, uh, getting any more conciliatory anytime soon. And I think it makes it impossible for this administration to get any more conciliatory anytime soon. And if you think about it, there was a study about to go to further your point is so when Trump left the office, the American average tariff. From on Chinese products rose from 3% to nearly 20%. So that's a huge increase. But if you think about it, typically we see that those taxes get passed on to consumers, except when it's the semiconductors, when it's the people buying them, that's a big impact on it. So the Peterson Institute estimated that removing the tariffs would shave just 0.3 percentage points off the annual inflation rate, which is 8%. So yes, every little counts it's impacting people's bottom lines but that's not going to move the needle in the way that that we need the fed and and inflation to come down to hit our two percent target um you know we did see america's secretary of state when he's looking at chinese policy what is it it's invest in line and compete and so really if i think about where we are uh, China is, I believe, in the driver's seat. I mean, if they shut off Taiwan, that's going to be that's going to be huge. The tariffs they already retaliated with them and say, okay, fine, we'll just tariff you back. Really, all that's doing is hurting the consumers. And then when the when we see the U.S. consumers go, they're going to take it out on the Democrats, and we're going to see a Republican regime. We're going to see even more hawkish, and then geopolitical tensions are going to continue to rise between. The, the two largest economies. And I think you're already beginning to see some of that in the shift in, in companies, right? So we just saw Alibaba, the Chinese giant, they're seeking to primary list on Hong Kong. That's a big move, really a, a sign that Chinese companies could be moving more and more off U.S. exchanges into Hong Kong. That's going to cause more tension as well. Um, so continuing to watch how how the interaction with China. I think Nancy Pelosi needs to cancel her trip. I think it's silly. There's other ways that we can show our alignment with uh, with Taiwan. I saw in the deal book today, they came up with, deal book from New York Times, they come up with a couple ideas. You can sell, send military generals or sign a bilateral trade agreement to send more weapons to them, um, smaller arms so they can defend themselves that may deter Chinese aggression. There's other ways than, than selling Pelosi because the Chinese are, are going to lose it if, if she shows up in Taiwan. It's gonna, it's not going to go over well. And they've said that, right? So, I mean, it's, it's a game of chicken. And the Chinese are they're, they're, they're holding a, a royal flush right now, I think. It's like Kaiser Zose, who's got the most will? And yeah. I would bet on the Chinese is having the most will. Yeah, I think uh, they're a little more resilient than we are right now. <laughs> oh, sure. Well, I mean, that's kind of all we have today, gentlemen. Uh, anything we might have overlooked? Uh, I don't think so. Well, we're still on politics. The only thing I would mention is there were some really bad, there have been some really bad polls on Latin Americans uh, for the Democrats, where Latins continue to move further and further to the right. Stacey Abrams in Georgia is lagging Kemp by 60-40. Uh, in the Latin vote. Uh, and I just think that what that tells you is that I, it just more and more evidence that 22, at least for the House, 
uh, is going to be an overwhelming win for the Republicans. I think the Senate, the Democrats do have a chance of holding on just because of really the quality of the candidates uh, that the Republicans have, have put forth in some states, uh, and especially, you know, Pennsylvania and Ohio. Um, but overall, I think the trend for the Democrats is not your friend. Uh, and I think that it really portends that you lose uh, you lose the White House in 24 and you probably lose the Senate in 24. So I think you do have to look at uh, the, the, the increasing likelihood uh, that we're going to have sort of a very slow growth, stagflationary type of environment. And I think that the, the odds are you're going to have a Republican sweep uh across the congress and the white house as we look out to 2024 all right great um thanks for your time both of you and to all our you know listeners out there we're out the information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of wellfest the mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by wellfest the content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only WealthFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.